0: Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt With heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard. So that you will not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as you engage us with your word, today. We pray for insight and understanding on who you are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to see you. Glad to have you here today. You have survived what is a muggy and hot day, which may beg the question, why is Todd dressed in a suit? You know, has anyone thought that today? already, you know? I mean, we tend to be a little, little dressed down here today, so you're asking, why is Todd and Kyle and Jeremiah somewhere in suits? And it's because, on this day of all days, it's because we are going camping. (laughs) And when Adventists go camping, we wear suits. (laughs) Today, there's a camp meeting at Camp Berkshire in the woods, in the woods, with no air conditioning and everyone will be in a suit. So we didn't want to disappoint them, and we didn't want to misrepresent you at Avon Hoben. so we are dressed in our camping gear for camp meeting. We are in the midst of our summer sermon series where we're investigating the foundational, some of the foundational ideas of uh, Christianity, and it's been, it's been really good so far. Now, I was missing a couple of the last few weeks, and that meant that you got to hear some really spectacular uh, sermons. Sarah King two weeks ago, Jeremiah three weeks ago, and then last week. Wow. I don't know who was here, but if you, I wasn't here, but if you were, you, you, you heard something great. Jael Amador, our own Jael, is she here today? Ja- Jael. Oh, what a, what a beautiful message last week. If you didn't hear it, and I'm being absolutely, I didn't even know Jael was going to be here, but Great message. You can find it at Avenhope.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's there. It was beautiful. In fact, as some of you know, and thank you for your prayers, we were down in Maryland, the family, because my one of my aunts passed away and we were at her memorial service. On the way, on the way as we were getting ready to leave, we got news that my grandfather, who is 99 years old, three months short of his 100th birthday, was like on his deathbed. And so we made a diversion they're both in Maryland we made a diversion to go see a granddad by the way you've been praying he he has surprisingly bounced back cuz they told us he had like 2 days to live and he has bounced back and was was happier than ever when my my mother left yesterday and so we're really encouraged thank you for your prayers on that but from driving to from to, from granddad's over to the eastern shore of Maryland to visit the, all the family with my aunt's memorial service, I had the privilege of listening to Giles' so encouraging message on the church. And I just want to, again, you, you got to go to avonhope.org and get last week's message. And so she talked about the church. We talked about all kinds of subjects. Today, we are talking about the day of the Lord, as you could tell from our reading in Second Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord, the big culmination of 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 the story, if you will, or part of the culmination of the story of the Bible, the return of Jesus and the day of the Lord. Now, you know, we think of this idea of the end of the world being uh, something that religious people talk about, and certainly most religions have some idea that the world as we know it is not going to remain indefinitely. But the truth is that almost everyone At this point in human history, has some idea that the world that we know now is not going to continue on as it currently does. I happen to be reading the Wall Street Journal last week. Now, I'm more of a Times person myself. So I went to the, I was reading the Wall Street Journal last week, and my favorite section of the paper, the Times, is the book review. And so last week, I happened to be reading the book review, and what came up? But the book, The Doomsday Calculation, this is a, this is a, I, a book that's taken fairly seriously that was written based on the research of mathematicians who have used, used calculations to determine all kinds of things related to computer science and so on. And so they aimed their calculations at you know, how much longer the world can exist with all of the stuff going on in the world. And so they came up with this number that there is a 50% chance that humans will only live another, another 760 years on planet Earth. So according to the Doomsday, uh, calculation and and this review in the, the Wall Street Journal. We have 760 years left. Okay, so so end of the world. It's not just religious people we are talking about. End of the world. Uh, Stephen Hawking. You know, he died just last year. Before he died, he had a lot to say about the end of the end of the world. You know, he gave us you know not much not much longer that we might live to the year 2600. His concern was with global warming and the temperatures rising, and that his his calculation was that the, the temperature of the Earth by 2060 will be 480 degrees. It's hot out there today, right? It's muggy, it's hot, 83 degrees. 480 degrees, very hot. So anyway, that was Stephen Hawking. He's like, there's no way that the Earth is going to exist a whole lot longer. So whether you're Hawking, whether you're doomsday calculation, nuclear war, biological and chemical warfare, uh, catastrophic climate change, Uh, ecological collapse, the advancement of AI and robots taking over the world. I mean, there are just a lot of theories about the world coming to an end to the point where most people, most people, including very, very smart, intelligent people, don't give us an indefinite amount of time on planet Earth. In fact, fact, the, the, the best case scenario is that our sun, which has something like 9 billion years worth of hydrogen, has already burned half of that hydrogen, meaning that we only have, our sun only has 4.5 billion years left of hydrogen. Does that concern you? Where are you gonna be in 4.5 billion years? (laughs) But then it gets worse, it gets worse that our planet will be inhospitable, according to this plan, in 1 billion years. So that's the best case scenario, actually, is that we have 1 billion years left on planet Earth. You guys with me? Everything's okay so far? All right, so the news is that almost everybody who lives on planet Earth believes that the Earth as we know it is not going to continue on forever. All right, you with me? Now, the Bible, as we just read in 2 Peter, has a very specific idea as to how this whole thing wraps up, and that's what we want to talk about today. The Bible has a very specific view of the end of the world as we know it, and throughout the Bible, this idea is talked about using the concept of the day of the Lord. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament and you want to find out what does the Old Testament have to say about the the end of the world, you're going to look for the language of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. So on the day of the Lord, in the New Testament, we learn is the time when also Jesus is to return. So we're talking about these fundamental ideas behind Christianity, and today, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, is our uh, theme. And so a couple of highlights from our text Today, Second Peter chapter three, that just to jump out to us. First of all, we see that the that according to Second Peter, the world will be destroyed, um, as we know it. Verse ten, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be d- destroyed by fire. There's the idea of heat destroying the world, and the earth and everything in it will be laid uh, bare. Uh, but there's good news, and that is that Jesus' return is a part of the day of the Lord, and Jesus' return is to come and rescue those who want to be rescued. All right, so there's bad news. The world is not going to continue on as it currently does, but there is good news, and that is God has a plan, and he, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to rescue those who want to be rescued. And then God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. God, the same God who created things in the first place, he can recreate Things. Then then Peter says, Look, actually, the problem with the scoffers is that they're going to be people who come and they're going to deny this fact that the world is going to come to the end, or at least the way Christians understand it. And their scoffing is based on their lack of understanding about creation. This is verse 5. The scoffers deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed by water and out of water, and by these waters also. the the world was destroyed once before in the flood, and uh, God has been all along the one who's had his hand in human history and in creation. So Peter makes the case that it's uh, a lack of understanding about who made things, who created things, that creates uh, a a scoffing atmosphere about this idea of Jesus' return. And so there are definitely scoffers in our story, people who are denying uh, the biblical story of the end of a time. Now, Verse 9, though, gives us again some good news that God, despite all of this kind of impending doom, that God actually wants everybody, everybody on planet Earth to to embrace the good news that he's coming back to save everyone. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient wanting no one to perish but everyone to come into repentance. Now I think that this is one of the most encouraging ideas in all of the Bible because there's been so much miscommunication through history uh, about the go- God or the gods that they're angry with humans and uh, or, 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 or whether you believe in multiple gods or singular gods there's always this underlying idea that God is angry. He's upset. The Greeks they believe that gods were just annoyed with human beings and wish that they had never been created and this idea has also translated over into to Christian history that God is really angry and perturbed about humans and just wish that they did not exist. But 2 Peter tells us that this is not the case, that God actually wants everyone to be rescued. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. And so he's being patient, patiently waiting, hoping that everyone can uh, accept his work on their behalf. So this is good in, in news. We also read from Second Peter that somehow God exists outside of time, as we know it. The, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. I mean, I'm not a physicist to kind explain this, but somehow God is able to operate on a different time scale than than we do. And this is innate to this text of Second Peter that God is is existing in ways that we cannot imagine. And so all of these elements give us a picture of the biblical idea of the end of the world, an idea that, again, many people, if not most people on planet Earth, share that at some point, Earth as we know it is not going to exist. The Bible gives a very clear description of its interpretation of what is to come, and it's of God initiating uh, a, a cleaning of the Earth, if you will. Now, the big question, all of that inf- interesting information aside, the big question is right there in the middle of the text, and it's asked by Peter this. With all of this in mind, Peter says, all of these things in mind, that the world is not going to exist as it currently does now forever, what kind of people ought you be? What kind of people ought you be? This is our existential question today. What, so it, with all of this in mind, impending in, in, in doom for planet Earth in mind, what kind of people uh, ought we be? Now... I received a, a letter, as, I, as occasionally happens. Now, I, I wanna, by, by sharing this letter, I want to assure you that if you ever send me a letter, I promise to not show it on the screen in the worship service. Okay, so I'm going to make that commitment to you so that you don't think, I wish I could write Todd a letter, but I'm not because it's the last time he put it on the screen. But I received a letter, as I occasionally do, from someone who's not part of our community. In fact, someone, I don't know who they are, and someone who lives in California and is a long way away. And it was a letter to try to help me and all of us uh, be prepared for the day of the Lord, okay? Now, I would imagine, I know this from my pastoral friend colleagues, that they too get these kind of letters from time to time. So this was some instruction for some of her. Now, some of this is good advice, and some of it I found to be a little, let's say humorous, okay? All right, so, so we're, we're thinking about what, what kind of people ought, ought we be? So do we have the, I know this is very small, so I'm gonna just read a few of these for you. All right, so this is survival, this is the title, I did not title this, survival guide for believers. So one, decide in advance where to meet with family members, have a plan A, B, and C in a place, buy Bibles and studies, okay, fair enough. Store up extra supplies of food and bottled water. This is preparation for the end of days. Get first aid kit, potassium iodide tablets, lo- locate a portable gasoline powered electric generator. And then I think we've all decided that number five was our, was our favorite. Purchase silver bullion coins and seeds for heirloom vegetables. I love a good heirloom vegetable, a good heirloom tomato, but I don't understand this and maybe somebody can help me with this. Buy three pairs of different varieties of rabbits. I've never, I never heard that one in the context of preparation for the end. Okay, so anyway, there's more things. Seven is a good one. Get a Faraday cage to protect your computers. Find tools of self-defense to deal with intruders and wild animals. Um, and then moving away from the cities that will be judged. And there's only I guess these are the only cities that are going to be judged, and then New York City is is number one. There was the first one. So, and I mean, and then number twelve is 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 honestly good advice. It's just it's a little funny how it's worded. Please do not even consider taking the mark of the beast. So so I I get letters like this occasionally. And again, I don't know who this person is. I think they were, they were genuinely concerned, which is, is lovely. But, but I think there's a, a kind of a, 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 an element behind this that can help us, an element of, of fear. So a fear like, look, the, the end of the days is going to be a, a scary time, and it's going to be a time in which we have to muster all of our Pathfinder skills. And, and we, we need to be prepared, and we need to get our, our, our bunker ready and our extra beans and all of that, and we need to prepare for this, this terrible time. Okay, So there's an element of, of fear. Now, I think this person is very genuine, so I don't want to make too much light of, of their... because he sent the letter to me, concerned, I guess, for our community and for me. But there's this underlying sense of dread and fear... About the day of the Lord, and we have to be prepared in our bunker with our guns, so that intruders we can shoot them. I get apparently, or animals, and that we have to have rabbits. The rabbit one is really, I don't, I don't get that one. Anyway, so, so Peter is asking, what kind of people ought you be? For this person, it's like we got to be people who are prepared and a little bit fearful of what's what's to come. But let's look at what Peter says. Peter says there's kind of three attributes of. The, 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 the kind of people that we should be in preparation for the, the coming of the end, we should live holy and godly lives. We should live holy and godly lives. Now these, both of these words holiness and godliness indicate a a, a a holistic and healthy relationship with God, with each other as brothers and sisters in humanity and with ourselves that 's the, the nature of these words of holiness. And godliness that we live in right relationship God with each other and with ourselves. So we need to live holy and godly lives. Peter says we need to look forward to the day and speed its coming. So this is rather than like being afraid and terrified of the day. The idea is that you're going to look at the day and you're going to look forward to it and in fact uh, speed its coming. Now just a just a, a little side note here. Some. Some have interpreted this idea of speeding, this is coming to, to, to indicate that that Christians need to be ill-concerned about what's going on in the world, um, especially when it comes to our environment. You know, unfortunately, uh, Christians have a kind of somewhat bad reputation when it comes to environmentalism, really rooted to this idea of the end of the Lord, because some Christians, quite frankly, rightfully uh, so in their theological interpretation, are like, well, I shouldn't say rightfully so. like it's a misinterpretation, but like if the world is going to burn up anyway, who cares, about, uh, who cares about the environment? I mean, just let it happen. Unfortunately, there are Christians who believe that and, and that uh, misconception has expanded to all Christians, that all Christians have this idea. And this is not what Peter is implying, that we shouldn't care about things. I mean, in fact, God invited us and, and instructed humanity be, to be stewards of the earth, to take care of the earth. And it, while it may be true that, a time is coming where the earth as it's now known doesn't exist, that doesn't mean that we aren't still stewards of, of this planet. And so we should be uh, taking care of the earth. In fact, in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18, how about this is an environmental uh, text? God will destroy those who destroy the earth. That's Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18. So this idea of looking forward to the day of the Lord, Lord and speed it come, it's coming doesn't mean let's destroy the the planet. That doesn't make any sense. And so we'll get back to what speeding the coming of the Lord really means later. Anyway, live holy and godly lives, look forward to the day and speed its coming, and then finally make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. This is Peter's instruction about what kind of people we ought to be in preparation for the impending day of the Lord return of Jesus. We're okay so far? Now, here's the, the trick. Great list. Helpful list. Thank you, Peter. But the reality is that this list is incredibly challenging because each of these elements is really, really uh, difficult. I mean, Holy and godly lives. How many of you here today feel like you just you've got that that down check off holy? I mean, holy. My my relation with God, my relationship with my brothers and sisters in humanity, and my relationship with, with myself is really in such a good place that I feel holy and godly. How many of you are looking forward to the impending destruction of the earth and the return of Jesus? And how many of us feel like we are? It could, it could be said about us that we are spotless, uh, blameless, and completely at peace with God. It's a tough list. That's a tough list. And this is Peter's instruction. What kind of people ought you be? This kind of people. But the reality is being that kind of people is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Why? Why is that the key? Why are these things so hard? I mean, if Peter says it, it should be easy to, to do, right? Firstly, relationships are difficult. Living holy and godly lives, again, this concept of holiness and godliness is innately related to our relationship with God with each other and with ourselves. And yet, relationships are incredibly difficult uh, for us. And so the concept of being holy and godly, which is related to this idea of relationship with God with each other and ourselves, is really, really challenging. I mean, you know you've been in relationships with someone else if not someone else, you've been in a relationship with yourself, and you know how difficult that can be. I mean, do you ever get upset with yourself because of your own, you know, stupidity or, or whatever? And f- some of us find it really, really difficult to live with ourselves, and that's just us. And then you add other people, and you add God into the picture, and relationships are messy, and they're difficult, and we are broken, and it's really, really challenging. By the way, JL talked about this so great last week in the Idea that I'm not going to spool it for you, but the church and messiness it's, it's beautiful. AdventHope.org, Jail. go there. Last week, anyway, relationships are difficult, and so living holy and godly lives is challenging. First, secondly, the stain of sin, the, our, our our brokenness, creating bad behavior in our experience, is really, really, it has really soaked into our being, and so the idea that we would be spotless. And blameless and at peace with God is incredibly challenging because we feel the guilt of the stain of sin, of our brokenness, of our bad behavior, of the ways in which we hurt ourselves, others, God, it's there. And that stain is incredibly, incredibly difficult to get out. In fact, I would suggest to you it's impossible to get out on your own. And so the idea of being spotless and blameless and at peace with God is innately, innately challenging because we feel guilt from the stain of our own brokenness. Finally, uh, that guilt, that guilt, makes the future seem scary, because even though Peter is saying this is good news. And, and this is something that we should look forward to, the end of the world, the return of the Jesus, it's going to be something to look forward to. The reality is, because we have this guilt, and we know that we're guilty, and we have this stain of brokenness in our experience, it's very, very hard to look forward to the idea of the return of Jesus and the end, because we're apprehensive, and always feeling like, am I good enough? Have I, have I fixed myself enough? And so that's really, really hard to be positive about something when you have the burden of all of that on your shoulders, or you have that stain that you just can't get out on your own. And so thank you, Peter, for that great counsel on what kind of people that we ought to be. The problem is, in practice, being that kind of people is really, really challenging. So what do we do? What what hope do we have? How do we overcome our guilt? How do we fix our broken relationships? How do we learn to look forward to things that could be really scary and terrifying? How how do we do that? How do we overcome this? How do we fix things? I'd suggest to you the answer is we don't. We won't. We're in trouble. The, the, The world is in trouble and we are in in trouble. And so thank God that there is good news in the story of the Bible and that is that although we are not going to be able to fix ourselves. We're not going to live holy and godly lives on our own. We're not going to be able to get rid of the guilt and the the shame that comes from our brokenness. And we're not really going to be able to make ourselves happy about something that seems terrifying. But there is one who has done what we cannot do. And because of that, we can have hope. We're told that uh, Jesus, unlike us, lived a holy and godly life. He had a right relationship with God. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We're one. We are tight. We live in holistic and right relationship with each other. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, I am full of the Holy Spirit. And then he left for the desert. See, Jesus lived a godly life, a holy life. He lived in right relationship with God and that meant he could live in right relationship with his brothers and sisters in humanity. Jesus has done what we cannot do. Uh, Jesus, unlike us, didn't have fear about the the day of the Lord. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, he said, talking to his disciples now, he said, "Uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. See, he knew. He knew his disciples were going to be disturbed about the impending uh, doom of the world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus had hope for the impending day of the Lord because he knew, he knew that through him, he could get a reunification with his brothers and sisters in humanity living in godliness and holiness. So Jesus had a right relationship with God. Jesus looked forward to the impending day of the Lord. And finally, Jesus lived a spotless life. We were never going to do this. You, you already have the stain of guilt, of brokenness in your experience. It's impossible for you to get spotless on your own. But Jesus lived a spotless life. In Hebrews chapter 4, we have a high priest, Paul tells us, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way, just like we were. But he, unlike us, was blameless and didn't have any brokenness or sin. And so, Jesus, in every place that we have failed, Jesus has fulfilled things. Jesus has succeeded. Now, that sounds great. Okay, Jesus has done what we cannot do. But what does that mean for us? I mean, if we were to end there, this is still kind of a bummer, right? Like, oh, okay, but Jesus did it. I didn't. I'm still in the same mess that I was in before. But the, the Bible tells us that because Jesus succeeded where we have failed, as we embrace his work, as we acknowledge his work, as we we grab onto his work, God is able to start working in us to make us people that we will never be on our own. Peter wrote, we're in 2 Peter for our text of emphasis in his first letter, 1 Peter, chapter one and verse 18, he writes this, for you know that wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. This is now he's talking about this issue like, okay, so you're broken. You need to be redeemed. You need to be rescued. You need to be saved from the situation that you're in. But that, that, that redemption, that saving doesn't come from your, your finances. It's not from f- silver or gold or perishable things. Your redemption, Peter says, comes from the precious blood of Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect. He's talking about this idea of being spotless and blameless, that Jesus is the lamb and he's spotless and blameless unlike us. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. See, the implication of 1 Peter is like, 2 Peter, Peter gives this list of all the things that really we should be in light of the place in which we stand in human history, but all of those things on our own are impossible. But as we embrace the work that God has done in Jesus, God is able to work in us and transform us that, through that faith. God can do what we cannot do for ourselves. God can fix our relationship with him. Fix our relationship with our brother or sister in humanity. Fix our relationships with ourselves. That God can, can make us blameless and spotless. He can get out the spot that we will never be able to get out on our own. That God can do what we will never be able to do on our own. And all of this means... That our attitude about the impending doom of planet Earth can be transformed and changed so that we do look forward to the coming of the return of Jesus. But we'll only be able to look forward to that coming of Jesus if we have been transformed and that comes through accepting and acknowledging God's work on our behalf. No more fear. No more fear stockpiling rabbits. No more beans in the, the bunker. By the way, you know, I mean, again, this is a, 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 a sincere person, so I don't want to make too much light of this idea of the list, but, but the idea of the list still goes back to this idea that somehow, somehow we can help ourselves. Right? And this is, this is our issue. Like we still keep thinking we can fix ourselves, that we can get rid of the stain on our own or we can fix our broken relationships on our own or we can you know, get it together so we have a new attitude about the future. And so we, we, we come up with all of these ideas. Some of them sound crazy about how we're going to do it. And in this case, it's stockpiling rabbits and getting the bunker ready and getting your gun prepared. And if we do that, then we won't have fear anymore. But that, that, that's not how it works. The only thing that's going to really relieve our fear is, is faith in the God who overcomes all fear. Who, who, who took the greatest thing to fear death and overcame that. And as we embrace the God who did that, who overcame death, God is able to transform our attitude. Transform our life, transform our behavior, and transform our relationships. Now, I would bet that most of you don't sit around too much, I hope you don't, and think about the end of the world. Even though... Everybody believes at some point the world is going to come to an end, whether it's one billion years from now or next year or wherever. But most of us aren't sitting around and thinking about the end of the world, I would assert. You have your own problems that you're dealing with right now that, that, that it seemed to because they're, they're much more immediate to us, at least we feel that way, that, that transcend the worry about what's going to happen at the end of the world. And so you're worried about your career and where it's going. Or maybe you feel stuck. Or maybe you're not happy where you are. Maybe it's the relationship you're in right now and you feel like that there's impending doom in that, in that relationship. Or, or, or maybe it's your financial situation, like you know where you need to be and you're not there and it, things are, seem like they're going to come crashing down. And so the good news is that the hope that God gives about peace for the end of the world and the return of Jesus is also trans, translated to our other challenges the other catastrophes that we feel like are coming in our experience. And so if God can give a person hope and a, an opportunity to look forward to the destruction of our home planet, how much more can he give us hope about our finances, hope about our relationships, hope about our careers, hope about whatever else feels like it's a catastrophe coming in the, quickly in your experience? The God who wants to overcome A fear in us and his invitation is to embrace his work to let him do in us what we will never do on our own give us peace despite all that's going on in our lives in the world around us and give us hope for a beautiful future may you as we continue this journey together over the summer investigating these foundational ideas may you have god's peace May you embrace Jesus' work on your behalf. And may God give you hope for a bright future, not only at the end, but today. Amen.